On May 25th, George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, was killed in Minneapolis, Minnesota. White police officer Derek Chauvin kneeled on Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds while Floyd was handcuffed and lying face down in the street, begging for his life and repeatedly saying, I can't breathe. A second and third officer further restrained Floyd while a fourth officer prevented bystanders from intervening. During the final three minutes, Floyd was motionless and had no pulse while Chauvin ignored onlookers' pleas to remove his knee, which he did not do until medics told him to. Floyd's crime? Attempting to buy cigarettes with an alleged counterfeit $20 bill. Floyd's death has triggered demonstrations, protests, riots, looting, and outrage in cities across the country and even around the world as demonstrators demand justice against police brutality, racism, and lack of police accountability. Black Lives Matter has become the collective rally cry of so many who feel anger, pain, frustration, disappointment, and sadness that these kinds of things still happen in the United States of America. And meanwhile, there's the church, the body of Jesus Christ, the group that supposedly holds the hope of the world. And during this time, many believers have become exceptionally outspoken about the injustice of racial inequity in our society, while others acknowledge Floyd's death as a tragedy, but feel that race may not have played a factor in this murder and condemn the protest as simply race-baiting and attempts by a polarized, radically divided society to further disunity and hatred. But what does the gospel say about these issues? How are we as followers of Jesus Christ to listen to pray for, speak out for, and enter into the pain of our African-American brothers and sisters and neighbors. What does justice look like right now? Compassion, understanding, unity. And can talking about it in an hour-long podcast do anything to move the needle? Just a warning to our listeners, we experienced quite a bit of technical issues related to our internet connectivity and some audio issues while we were recording this episode, so we apologize in advance for the poor audio quality, but we promise next episode everything will be back to normal. There's a lot of lot of adjectives in there. I've I'm yet to hear to describe me. So thank you for that. Um, well, you know, I just I felt bad because last time I can't remember what I said, but it was pretty demeaning, and you got super offended. So I you, felt like I just needed to build you up. Yeah, I wrote it in my diary. You called me uh, your assistant. I did, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. yeah. As mm. opposed to your buddy, you've been you've been introducing me as your buddy, and then somehow it switched to assistant, and it was like just a shot through the yeah. heart. What if I was like, mm, here is my underling, Gabriel. Yeah. Is that worse than assistant? Here is my minion. But today, I called you my co-host. That's, that's nicer, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I th- I'll, I'll co-host. It's, yeah, me too. It's professional. But we're also buddies. We're also buddies. Yeah. Well, I'm your co-host. You're my co-host. Everybody's a co-host. All good children. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, so... Thank you to everybody who tuned in for our last episode. Really helpful to hear some feedback from folks. Uh, we got a comment from a listener, DC Smiley. They wrote, your podcast is very easy to understand and comprehensible. Good feedback. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, comprehensible. I mean, if we did all this and you couldn't understand us, that would be really defeating. And I would... <laughs> <laughs> My wife That's would just... Yeah. <laughs> But if we I, did all this with like peanut butter in our mouths, you couldn't understand anything we were saying. Yeah, horrible, like, horrible. yeah, yeah. If I didn't, if I didn't suppress my my Southern Alabamian draw, you know, and it would be a little bit harder to understand. But it's true. I honestly think the reason that people find our podcast easy to listen to is because of your buttery smooth voice. Hmm. Yeah. I sound like an NPR host sometimes. Huh? Yeah. I, mean, I should try. I should try. <laughs> I don't know if I'm nerdy enough to be on NPR. If, if, this Maybe I am. Doesn't, if this whole ministry thing doesn't work out, you should go NPR and 
Yeah. I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. I'll pray about it. We'll, we'll leave it at that. I'll pray about it. This is getting dumber and dumber. We probably won't move on. But speaking of smooth, buttery voices, our guest today is my friend, Pastor Josh Jamison, who also has a very buttery voice. Some might say his singing voice is like that of if John Legend and Anthony Hamilton came together in a lab and, and uh, it ended up being Josh Jamison. So, how you doing, Josh Jamison? What's going on, Josh Brigger? Not too much, man. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. You want to introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, man. Um, Josh Jamerson. And um, I am originally from, I was born in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And um, born in the blizzard of 77. And um, so from there, traveled pretty much all over. My father was a pastor, so we kind of traveled all over and um, lived in Buffalo for most of my life. And uh, maybe 2009, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee and um, been there ever since. And since being here in Nashville, I've um, been connected to maybe two churches and um, actually, yeah, two churches. Um, the first church when I got here, Believers Faith Fellowship, and then the experience. And now I am pastoring uh, Crossland Church. And um, man, it's been, it's been a journey. And um, it's been a great journey though. It's been def definitely difficult, challenging. But it's been good. Met my wife here. Uh, we've been married. It'll be seven years this September. No kids as of yet. So um, we're looking forward to that day. I'm kind of tripping a little bit because I wanted to wait to have kids when I'm 43. So that's pretty pretty dumb. And um, <laughs> and but yeah, man, we're, you know. But um, other than that, man, everything is everything has been pretty pretty cool. It's a, li a little bit about me. Yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and also, you came down to Nashville originally to to music, correct? Well, so brought you here. I think originally what what really brought me here, man, honestly, is um, I heard God say, "Move." It was time for me to leave. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I was connecting like, "Ooh, I'm going to be here for music." Like, yeah, I'm coming yeah. for music, and and God has allowed me to um to do some amazing things in the music industry. You know, as far as in regards to traveling all over the over the world and singing and things like that, but it definitely wasn't what in my mind, you know, was. But um, sure. definitely wasn't trying to be nobody's pastor and start nobody's church. But <laughs> uh, but look at Jesus now, right? So yeah, man. Well, welcome, welcome to the club. I think Gabe and I both wandered into this whole pastoring thing in uh, kind of the same fashion. Would you, would you say, Gabe, that's kind of uh, your journey as well? Yeah, it's it's by by happenstance. I think sometimes God gets a hold of people who are stubborn and uh, strong-willed, and he says, I need to use you for my purpose, and um, I need you to communicate some of my principles and my word to people. And when times get tough and when you know it feels like people abandon you or uh, the world looks down on you because of the, the message that you're, you're carrying and communicating, you're too stubborn, you're too strong-willed to give up on the truths that God has burning inside of you. So, no, that's a that's a great story. Thanks, Jameson, for for sharing your uh, your history for for us. Nah, appreciate it. And, well, I, and uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm I'm pleased to see that uh, Jameson has a very respectable beard, keeping in line with the beards yeah. and Bible yes. podcast. Yes. So. yes. Yeah, he probably grew that just for the podcast. But well, yeah. since I got out of the military. I wanted to be a rebel. <laughs> I couldn't mm. wear one in the military like this. So once I was done, I was like, I'm growing everything back. So, yeah. Well, it's very respectable. It looks good on you. No, I appreciate it. And that's, that's part of the criteria for being on the beer. Being on the beer. Okay. I, I got it now. And then, so the same <laughs> thing for you. It looks good. Yeah, it looks good on both of y'all. So here's a funny story before we get started. Dave used to be terrified of beers. <laughs> like... Back in the in college, Dave was also in the military. Dave was in the uh, in RTC. Yeah, I was in the Florida National Guard. Yeah. Yeah. So he had to stay clean shaven, and I started growing my beard like a man. 
Skype was like, ooh, that's gross. And I was like, it's a beard. And he's like, ooh. And he wouldn't, that's exactly how it sounded too. We don't know why he talked like that. Back in the day, but. Yeah, these guys actually used to sneak into my dorm room. And when I was seemingly sleeping, they would come up and, and rub their beards all over my face and my neck. And I would have to defend myself from their beard. <laughs> they, they actually, they, they coined a phrase, to, uh, the, um, let's go beard, Gabe. Yeah, it was, wow. it was hor- I still have horrible dreams about That's that. Horrible. Me, and my, me and my buddy George Brinkman, we both yeah. had great masculine beards. And then one day after college, Gabe showed up and he had a very respectable, like, Civil War beard. And I was like, <laughs> what happened to you? He saw the light. God just did a work in his heart. And, and <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, we're laughing, we're joking, we're having a good time, but the reality is the topic at hand is anything but light. This is a, a pretty uh, weighty topic, and of course we're talking today about the murder of George Floyd. And uh, these past two weeks, I think, have been heavy, not just for, for me and for you know, all of us talking today. I think it's been just a, a cloud that's been over our nation for the past two weeks. I, I uh, first watched this video last week sometime, and I felt sick to my stomach, like so many people listening. Um, but what, what about you guys? What was your first response? What was your feeling when you heard the news, or if you watched that video of this horrible, horrible murder? What What was your first response? What did that feel like to see that? Uh, my first response, if I could jump in, was um, any anything like this, any any unnecessary death of any human being. It, it's tragic and always points to the fact that we need a savior, that we need redeeming, that we need, um, our world is just so broken and it, it just deeply saddens me to see injustice in our world in any, in any capacity, but it gives me this renewed longing for a just King, um, to come and to sort us out, you know, and I, I just, I hang on, hang on to that hope and that, that, that longing for that. And I hope it's soon and in, and in my day that I get to see that. Yeah. What about you, Jamerson? What was that like for you, man? Well, so I'm gonna give you um I'm gonna you my honest, honest, honest feeling when I when I saw the um so when I first saw the video, I, I passed it because honestly, as being a black man in America, we I've seen so many videos. Um I've been desensitized to it. So whenever I see a video, it's like like I just I just can't, you know what I mean? I just can't do it. So I sort of, the first time I, you know, I, I seen it appear on social media, I, I just kind of passed it. I was like, oh, another, another murder. Um, I'm just, you know, just kind of over it. <clears throat> but then when I just start, this feeds kept coming in into my, into my feed, you know, this video. So I really took the time to really watch it. And, um, and man, it took the breath out of me. And, um, you know, I, I watched, the whole video and I made myself in tears flowing down my eyes. And I kind of got the, my feeling was at that time is I'm so tired of this BS and um, you know, and it, it just felt like um, I've seen other videos, but this one just felt different. It felt different. And um, how so? Why, why would this one feel different? Man, it just felt different because when I watched the video, I was I was watching from a different a lot of different aspects of the video. But the one part I, I think that really got me was when I was really looking at the officer who had his knee on his neck, and I was just yeah. looking at his face, and it was like this this smirk or like this you know this this disposition that was just very evil, and um, man, it just felt like oh my god, I've never witnessed this before. Like this felt like a a modern day lynching. And so excuse my sure. terminology. No, no, no. no absolutely. But, um, that's what that. it felt like. And it just felt like, oh my God, did, did this just happen on video? And like, what in the heck is going on? And um, it was just heartbreaking, man. It was just, then I watched it again because I had, you know, I had, I, had, I watched it a few times because I, I really made myself watch it a few times to really get different 
aspects and look at different angles to kind of understand what people were saying in the background and to try to see what the officers, like what the one officer who was standing there, what was his just, justification? So, man, I, I I watched it a few times, but each time I watched it, it just, it broke my heart. And it just was like, oh, my God, it was something different about this one. Um, like, man, I've been seeing videos probably since videos been coming out with, you know, killings of, of, of black and brown men, probably about 10, 10 to 12, 11 years or so. You know, and um, but it was just something about this one that just was like, oh, my God, um, yeah. I've never, so this one, never experienced this before. Sure. So this one, um, you know, you mentioned other videos coming out just a few months before this. It's not even months. I mean, maybe a week. Uh, the video that showed Imad Aubrey yep. from Brunswick, Georgia, um, being murdered. I mean, how, how do you think, do you think these two videos and these two incidents, happening around the same time do you think it kind of just added to the i think i think it did man i honestly i think um i think the armad aubrey video really people were people were done like people were done but it was still like right in the brink of you know you getting all these reports about covid and you know what i mean so it was kind of like and we're kind of finding out like this thing happened in february but the video just now coming out and just to watch it, you know, to see like, oh my God, him being hunted down, you know, in the street, um, that broke me. But then yeah. two weeks later, here comes another video. And then that was the tipping point, man. That was just like, okay, this is it. Like, you know, enough is enough. Like, and I think that's where we are right now. I think that's where people, where you see all the rage and the anger is people are just, they're done. People are, are yeah. tired. So it, this isn't, you know, this isn't really an isolated incident. It seems like these kinds of things keep happening over and over again. Would you guys agree with it? And if, Absolutely. If this, if this is connected with other incidents, why does this kind of thing keep happening over and over again? Are you asking me? I'm asking either one of you. I just why do I why do I think it keeps happening over and over again I think it keeps happening over and over again um I think our system is messed up to where it doesn't prosecute um I think it wouldn't happen over and over again if there was a moment where our system our judicial you know our judicial system would um do something about an officer, you know, we've seen so many killings of officers, you know, killing brown and black men. If one of them would have, you know, got convicted, it would have set, you know, it would have set a standard like, no, you can't do this. So that's why I think a lot of, and I I can't speak for the entire black community, but um, I think I speak for a lot of us that, yo, it just keeps happening because our system is so broken. Yet nobody wants to convict, you know, a police officer. So they're sort of like protected. And um, these laws. So it's almost it's almost kind of a systemic tyranny that leads to ethnic injustice. It is, man. Um, it is. Yeah. What do you think, Dave? What do you what do you think this kind of thing? First of all, do you think this kind of thing is is related to other things that have happened? And if so, why do you think it keeps happening? Yeah, I was talking to my wife about it the other night, and I almost wonder too on the other side of that. Um, there's been this huge influx of shows just in our lifetime alone that are law enforcement themed shows where, you know, there's always like the, the main character is always kind of like the rogue cop, you know, who kind of takes the the law into his own hands, you know? And, um, and it's not, it's not law and order. Um, it's, it's someone going around the law to try to bring about justice in their own capacity and on their own terms and that's not what our country was founded. Our country was founded upon law and order and doing things according to a certain, you know, making sure rights are protected. People's the sanctity of life is protected. So I, and, and this there's I think there's lots and lots of reasons as to why this is happening. Um, but I think this is just one component I think maybe is slightly being overlooked is that there is um, there are these shows, I think, that are that are informing law enforcement how 
how cops are to operate. And one of the ways they do that is they go rogue. They take the law into their own hands. And, uh, and, yeah. and that's, there's a disregard for the sanctity of life. There's a disregard for personal, personal rights, privacy. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're no, it seems like the concept of, um, of innocent until proven guilty has kind of been eroded. And I think it's due in part to these shows. Now, I, I think there's a whole other compendium of issues at hand here, but I think this is just one component of it that no one is really talking about, but, um, yeah. Well, I'm going to stop you right there. You said the word compendium. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> well, just, really it, yeah, it just means there's a, a there's just a, a <laughs> wide variety, you know, and that racism, yeah, yeah, yeah. racism is a component of it. Um, you know, Darwinism being taught in schools and, and therefore, um, you know, the sanctity of human life being diminished is one component. And I think that's, that leads to yeah. mass shootings and other, and other mass acts of violence that we see. Uh, there's just a lot of different facets to this, these um these events that happen and and then also just um you know the fact that we can all witness them um almost in real time actually in real time we can witness things like this um is just it's it's mind-blowing and you know we we can take in so much information in a 24-hour period of time and it's you know we can we can look at headlines from this device in our hand of things going on in Syria and civil wars and genocide going on in Syria and then things like like George Floyd and the fact that we have this access to the, so much information, it's at one hand, it's fascinating to me. But on the other hand, it's terrifying in terms of what this is potentially doing to our mental health, like collective mental health. But also I, I think of us as like, you know, like humanity, but especially United States of America right now. It's like this really tense muscle that is just being like made like more and more tense, you know, and it's like yeah. tightening up. and you know, it's like, or, or like a tinderbox or something, you know, and you have all this COVID stuff going on and Americans are just like stressed. Right. And, yeah. and then you just have this spark that gets thrown on it. And it's like, boom, like he said, it was just the tipping point, you know? And, well, and yeah. And, and I, I would agree with you on that. And I think, you know, our art is a reflection of our culture and a culture is reflected in art. So it's interesting. That's a really, I think, profound insight to say, Hey, we, we somehow, glorize in Hollywood and on TV shows, these rogue cops that kind of take the law into their own hands. But when then you see it fleshed out in real time, yeah. the impact of that is. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, man. I, I think it's the American way. And there's a lot of aspects of the American way that, um, that we can look at, but just from the aspect of what Dave was saying about the television shows, like, and I just, and then it really never dawned on me till you just said something, but, I personally personally don't like those type of shows. Um, yeah. Like, and I don't want to name them out, but I, I don't like, because to me it sets a, a standard, like it gets high ratings and they're like in season five. Like, what do you like? So this is the norm. This is what everybody like. This is what everybody expects. Like, oh, they can get away with it. So if that's kind of feeding into our mental in a, as a society, why do you think we, we're seeing what we're seeing, you know? Right. And, um, it, just, it seems to me like as a society, we've, we've become crueler. Like we're, the cruelty of American society, I think is reflected in incidents like this. And definitely racism is a reflection of that. Um, and I think that when we start actually picking it apart and peeling back the onion layers, it's really a gospel issue. It's really that we as a society have uh, abandoned these ideals that we were founded on, or maybe we never even realized these ideals were founded on all men are created equal. Um, and really, where does that come from? That comes from the scriptures. That comes from the book of Genesis, where he created mankind in his image. And God created the male and female. And that's where you get that. Right? And you don't just, I mean, Jefferson wrote, um, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Well, those truths aren't actually self-evident. You have to have divine revelation to have that viewpoint that all men are created equal. But it seems like we're getting further and further away from that and we're becoming more cruel and we're becoming uh, less compassionate and we're becoming more angry. And it's, it's heartbreaking. And I think, Jamerson, something you said, man, you just said you've grown desensitized to seeing things like this. It just seems yeah, like man. And, um... I mean, dude, it's just crazy. It's so much, man, this, 
communities just need so much help, man. It's so much more than just a job. It's so much more than just, um, man, like I probably can go now. I'm probably the the bottom of the bottom. I've, I've, I haven't experienced, um, racism on that level as far as getting pulled over and the cops just being mean to me. Now I've experienced it in other avenues or other aspects, you know, being in a store or people looking at you or moving people wanting to like move to the other side of the other way, you know, things like that, you know, um, you know, walking to a mall, people are following you and what are you doing? You know, that type of thing. But, um, man, so my, my point is there's a, there's a, um, there's mental illness connected to this. Like there's like, people are, people are really met. Like, like, I'm just going to say the black and brown community, like there's a fear that we, that we have about us. It's almost like if someone goes to war and they experience what they experience in war, so they come back and then people call it PTSD. Right. And then, you know, they're supposed to be, and that's a whole nother conversation. They're supposed to be, you know, take care of your own, man. They fought for our country, boom, 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 because they're dealing with like mental things. Well, as a community, black and brown community, um, you know, the healthcare, healthcare is an issue. So who, how do we deal with our mental issues? If, if healthcare, if healthcare is an issue, we can't get proper healthcare, you know, um, it's a system, it's a broken system, you know, it's not designed for us. So, Things like health, I mean, mental illness, like we deal with that stuff. I deal with it every time I get into a, a vehicle and I drive and I see an officer, I see a police car, I get to freaking out. I try to be cool, but I'm looking like, I know he can see me, but maybe he really can't. But in my head, I think that, you know. Sure. So there, there's almost kind of a collective anxiety. Oh, man, it is. Dude. And I hate it, dude. I mean, I every time I get in a car, I'm like, Lord Jesus, can you please take this away? Like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, I mean, other than just the fact I don't allow, I don't wallow in it, you know, and I don't allow it to um, hold me captive, but it, it's there. It's there. And I'm like, Lord, when does this go away? I don't know if it ever will go away. You know, I, I don't know, but it's there. Well, man. I, and I, I so appreciate you, you saying that because honestly, as a white American, and Jamerson, you and I have had these conversations. I've never, I have never experienced that, right? I mean, I've never had to worry about walking into a store and somebody looking at me and kind of backing up a little bit. I've never had the experience driving down the road and I'm doing the speed limit and not breaking any laws and still feeling that fear of, am I going to get pulled over? You know, so I think my plea to so many people listening that are white that would say, I don't understand why the black community is making such a big outrage on this. Well, there's some things that we've never, we've never experienced. We don't know what that's like for so many of us. And so I think there's a, a lack of compassion for so many believers that are white um, towards people in the black community. Yeah. And here's the deal, man. Like, here's the reality. Well, I hear that. I hear that a lot. But here's the here's the reality of that. Here's the the deal to that man. As a black person, or as black people, we don't want to be. We don't want to say that. Like we really don't. Right. You know what I mean? Like honestly, mm-hmm. no one gets a kick out of like. Let's just always keep on saying this. Like really, what we want is just to have equal equal rights. Like, you know, it says it. It says we have equal rights and we have these amendments and we have these laws. But it really doesn't really stick for us. So, if you are tired of us saying certain things, then my my answer or my statement would be, hey, just allow us to have the same opportunities that you have. I'm not looking for anything more than you, but give me the let's have the same playing field, and then, sure. you know. But it's it's not like that though. Yeah. Well, well, some people listening to this might say, hey. There's really no such thing as systemic racism in our culture. There, there are just bad apples every now and again. And, and some of that language is that there's not really systemic, cultural-wide racism. Every now and again, though, you might meet a racist. So all these protests, all this backlash, all this stuff, it's just overkill. Um, 
what do you say to that? What do you say to that, Gabe? What do you say to that, Jim? What are your thoughts to someone who might be? Well, uh, yeah, I'll chime in. I think I think racism is a human condition, a human problem that goes back since the beginning of races. Anytime there was a different race, we found as human beings a way to exploit people of different races since, like I said, the beginning of of differing races. You know, you can you could go back uh, to the Jews and the Samaritans. There was a, a, a huge racial tension between those two groups of people. You could talk about um, Aryans and Jews, you know, and Arabs and blacks, Western, you know, Europeans and blacks. And there's always been this problem of like humanity exploiting other people just because of the amount of of pigment in their skin or, you know, the different regions for where they're from or whatever the case may be. And um, yeah, to, to deny that there's this thing called racism in the world um, is is just that. I think you're in denial. Um, and I think it, it takes many different shapes and forms and manifestations throughout human history. It's there. Um, I'm not certain how we how we fix it, other than the the regenerative uh, power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and us realizing that our citizenship lies in the kingdom of heaven, and our identity is in our Savior and our Messiah. Um, and, and because of that, you know, it gets us to a point, hopefully it gets us to a point and it should get it to a point where it's like Joshua Jamerson, I don't know you, but I'm, because you're made in the image of God, I'm willing to lay my, lay my life down for you, you know? And I don't know this person, uh, in Puerto Rico, but because they're made in the image of God, I should be willing to lay my life down for them. I don't know this person because, but you see what I'm saying? It's like, and I think, I think secular, secularism, modern secularism has, has dealt a great blow to um, uh, racial equality, especially in the United States of America, it's like, wait a second, you know, when you really look at the writings of Darwin, you, you lo- really look at the writings of Margaret Sanger and all these people, and it's like, you begin to think, wait a second, they they bought Darwinism, they bought Darwin evo- Darwinian evolution, the hook, line, and sinker, therefore leaving us with the question, well, who is the more evolved or leaving us the question, who is made in the image? What is, what is special and how do we, how do we um, further the quote unquote progress of our, of our species, you know, and, and you have to ask those kinds of questions if you accept Darwinian evolution. So um, yeah, that's just my two cents on it. I don't know if it's. Oh, that's good. That's good. Josh, what do you think? Is is there such a thing as systemic racism or is it just every now and again? Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on that. Uh, just, I, I know you got to go here in a second, and, and Dave and I'm finish this up. But man, I, I just wanted to ask you, like, this is a tough question, and you answer this how you feel led to answer this. But when you hear people say things like, "Hey, black on black crime is worse than blue on black crime," or uh, people just shouldn't break the law, and if people don't break the law, they're not going to get in trouble with the police. So black people, if they didn't break the law, then none of this would be an issue. What, do you think that's a fair and reasonable thought process, or is that just well, I think it's fair. I think it's fair if that's how you want to look at it. Yeah. Um, I think it, it all depends on what you think. Are you really trying to an avoidance tactic, essentially.
It's not a it's not a dismissive thing saying hey black lives matter more than other lives right now. It's saying that the lives of African Americans should matter as much as the lives of other ethnicities and races.
Well, Jamerson, I so appreciate your thoughts on this, man, and thank you so much for sharing your heart with us. And, uh, okay. God I bless you, brother. Oh, you're good, man. Absolutely. And, and, Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, just in general, there's a lot going on. There's just a lot to process. Uh, a lot, lot weighing heavy. And you know, to be honest with you, this is of, of all the podcast episodes we've done so far. I was, and, and it's, it's interesting that I say this because I, I'm the one that kind of pushed us in this direction as far as the topic goes. But as I've been reflecting on that, there has been multiple times where I wanted to call you up or text you and tell you, hey. I don't know uh, if we should do this topic anymore. <laughs> um, and kind of for twofold reasons. Um, I don't want to be more information in a sea of confusion out there. Right. And Absolutely. for just, you know, blah, you know, just like add more confusion. And then also, it seems like it seems like I'm in disagreement with about 90% of the demands that these, you know, black active activist movements are, are making, um, on a political level, you know, I'm, and I hate to get into politics or anything like that, but sure. I see historically, and, you know, I'm, I have my degree in history and I, I teach American history. And I, I can see that, that, Blacks in America have been exploited um, for the sake of prosperity um, and and for material gain, and that is so saddening to me. And that continues yeah. to this day, but many times under the guise of something else. Um, right. And I guess the reason why I kind of dreaded doing this episode was because you never want to be that guy that kind of like causes the kerfluffle you know you don't want to be that guy that causes anything but at the same time it's like man i i at the same time i want to speak out and say you know why do we keep trying to do the things that are ineffective you know why do we keep trying to do the things that are that are continuing to hold this people group down and you know you look at for instance like black lives matter I totally understand and totally support the, the concept of justice and seeking justice for the black community. But at the same time, if we're going to be consistent, we have to look at um, their silence when it comes to the, the, the issue of abortion. And you just look at the percentages of blacks who are aborted every year in our country. It is a travesty and it is so sickening that how many MLK juniors or how many Ben Carson's or how many, you know, Booker T. Washington's, are we aborting every year? And why is no one, in, if anyone has the platform to be able to speak out against this genocide that's happening within our borders, it's Black Lives Matter. Yeah, well, and I think the other side to that, I think you bring up a really good point bringing up abortion. 
Which, by the way, I don't know if that's a duck in the background. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Wonderful. It, no, you're good. So, like, the other side of that is, and I, I'm, you know, you and I are in the exact same page of abortion. I believe it's murder. I believe that it's a horrible, horrible abomination in the eyes of the God. The Bible says that God hates those who shed innocent blood. And uh, so, yeah, that's a horrible thing. But I think what I've heard some of my black brothers and sisters say is, man, it seems like the white church is all about the sanctity of human life and all pro-life when it's unborn babies. But why aren't you guys pro-life when it comes to issues like this? Yeah. To, yeah. to which we might say, well, why aren't you guys pro-life when it comes to unborn babies, right? So, you know, I think both sides of that, there's some blind spots in the sense that, um, like he said earlier, I thought that was so interesting when, we were talking about, hey, a lot of folks say, well, black on black crime is worse. Well, most of the black folks I've talked to, they're like, well, yeah, black on black crime is horrible. Nobody's saying it's okay, mm-hmm. right? Um, but these are two separate issues in one sense, but they are connected in another. Um, and, and I'm in agreement with you, man. I, I, I wrestle with this topic too, not because I don't feel strongly about it. I don't feel like this is a issue that we're supposed to be concerned with as, as followers of Jesus, but because there is so much political baggage associated with mm-hmm. talking honestly and openly about issues of race. Yeah. And, and I almost guarantee you there's probably someone listening to this podcast right now that can pick apart everything we've said and probably is listening going, man, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I mean, regret, you know, these guys are liberal and these guys are, you know, conservative on this and they didn't say anything with it just seems like there's so many landmines when you start talking about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but I think like what I've found out just from friends that I've had that are African-American is when you just sit down across the table and you just are like, dude, my experience is not the only experience that matters. I may have experienced this growing up in a tiny Northwest town in, in, in Dalton, Georgia, but you didn't experience the same kind of childhood that I did. Tell me about your childhood. Mm. And I start finding out that like the way they grew up is different than how I grew up. And so the way they see the world is different than how I see the world. And maybe it's not exactly how I see it to be when it comes to these issues of race. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all have a different perspective to bring to the table. And some of the perspectives are more, like you said, uh, an intimate familiarity with with racism um racial injustice and that that's sad and that shouldn't be the case um yeah and i think like i said it it kind of just all goes back to allowing the work of the holy spirit to regenerate in you the new creation that you're called to be in christ where it's not like you're blind to race but your identity supersedes the color of your skin where, like I said, you look at someone, not so much the color of their skin, but the fact that they were made in the image of God. And um, it just, it, it so saddens me and there's nothing I can do to fix it. Nothing I can do to go back and change it. It just so saddens me that we brought the institution of slavery to our shores and Thomas Jefferson describes it as having the wolf by its ears. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I wish that we could go back and I wish we could influence the founders and say, look, this is an opportunity here to start afresh. This is an opportunity, you know, and I understand that the the, the founding of the United States of America was a gradual one. It wasn't just an overnight right. thing. And it, you know, eventually it did hit a tipping point and we declared our independence and we created a constitution and so on and so forth. But um, you know, it just, you wish you could, you could have some sort of influence in that, that early, the early formative years of our nation and say, guys, this is, this is not, this is evil. This is satanic. Um, this yeah. is not worth the material gains that you will get out of this institution. And, you know, absolutely. We are, um, our, our nation, our, you know, I, I'm trying to think of a good and sensitive way of saying this, but our nation absolutely is suffering from our sins of the past in oh, yeah. in, in connection with the institution of slavery. And, well, and you, I, I think to add to that, 
it's one of those things where racism is expressed differently in each generation. Mm-hmm. So, like the example that when you know Jamerson and I were talking, I honestly think, and man, I'm 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 friends with so many folks that are my dad's age, and that would be considered, I guess, the, the baby boomer generation. And I mean, good lord, th- that generation is to credit for some of they invented the computer, right? I mean, they're they're to credit for so many amazing things that they've done. But by and large, a lot of folks that I've talked to in my dad's generation, they don't think that they're racist. And the reason that many of them don't think they're racist is because they saw their fathers support segregation. So they say, no, I'm not racist because I don't support segregation. My dad's generation was racist. Well, their father's generation didn't think they were racist because, yeah, while they were fighting for uh, segregation, they weren't lynching. And the generation that lynched didn't think they were racist because their father's generation owned slaves. And so like, well, we don't own slaves. We just go out and lynch and, you know, belong to the people's plan that, that, you know, preserves a society. And so like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like you were saying that the sins of the fathers have visited other generations. This, this demonic spirit and this sin of racism is expressed in very sinister and unique ways in each generation. And I think part of our job as followers of Christ is to stand there in here and say, I know that this does not look in our generation like it did in previous generations, but it's still wrong, it's still sin, and we still need to work against it, and we still need to speak against it. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I think we need to, I always tell my people that the best way to communicate truth is to model it and to give give a reason as to why you do. To humbly model it and give a reason as to why you do. And I think if we are looking you know this is this is a gradual thing but if we're looking to wash our culture of a fixation and obsession with race it starts by modeling that for our children for our congregants for our family and saying you know i can sit across the table and here i am just an hour and a half south of selma alabama where it was the epicenter of the civil rights movement in the 1960s but I can on a regular, my, my kids get to see me on a regular basis, interact with people of different races, knowing that it is because of the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit in me that I am not fixated on that. I'm not blind to it, obviously. I love different cultures. I love different, different languages and and people of different backgrounds. I'm not blind to that. And I love that, but it's, um, I'm not fixated or obsessed with that. If that makes sense. It's right. it's so, so your your first identity as a follower of Christ and you're modeling this for your sons. Yeah. Is that you know, at the foot of the cross we're all equal. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Mm-hmm. There's there's not, there's not right? I mean we're yeah. Because of what the gospel does in us, we we don't view ourselves as primarily belonging to our ethnic group first. And other ethnic groups are somehow a threat to my ethnic group. That that should not exist in the minds of a Christ follower. Yeah, right? and yeah, and here's the thing that happens though, and and our our adversary Satan loves to do this. He loves to take people groups that could otherwise be really effective for God's purposes, and he loves to divide them on issues. And then he likes to, once he can divide, he can kind of conquer, and he can create. He can he can distract um, because they're not of they're not of a, as effective, um, and he'll do that with our nation as well. He will take issues like this and politically charge them, and then divide our nation over something like this. And it, right. it, it he'll divide a church, he'll divide a family, or whatever the case may be. And um, I think we need to be aware of that. That's one of his favorite tactics: is just sowing seeds of division. So you'll see. You'll see. Um... That duck is really going crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm out here. It's I'm outside and it's raining and and there's a there's tree frogs. I think it's actually a tree frog. Oh, it's a tree frog. Huh? But you'll see you'll see this these issues um, be politically charged, and then you have to. Here's the thing we do is we have to pick a side and we have to be vo- vocal about that yeah. side, um, and you know we have to post things about that side. Um, and then, Do you think there's a lot of virtue signaling that goes into that as well? In the sense of, because I'm posting that I'm a part of this side, therefore I'm a good person and you're not? I'm not sure. I, you have to, I'm not sure what the definition of virtue signaling What is virtue signaling? I, 
I don't know if I can give a good definition. I probably have to look up the official definition. Is that where you kind of like po- make a post and then you try to get credit for you? Yeah, being... it's it's not it's it's almost like you virtue signaling is almost like the things that you're doing. You're not really doing them to be an activist. You're not really mm. doing them because you care as much about the black community. You're not really doing any of that. You're kind of hijacking those purposes and those causes to signal to other people that you are in fact virtuous and other people that aren't doing what you're doing are not as virtuous as you are. Yeah. I mean, so, I, I wouldn't doubt that that's going on. I can't say for sure that like, I can't tell what's on people's hearts, but it, I, I would yeah. say that if someone were to do that, then that you're, you're no different than a full blown racist. I mean, you're, you're taking advantage of a situation to prop yourself up or to give yourself a certain image or whatever. I think that that's, yeah. that's, that's demonic. That's evil. I think that that's, that that needs to stop if that if someone is doing that and like i said i can't i can't tell what's on a person's heart or motives but yeah, yeah. there the, the probably is i mean but um i just don't spend a lot of time on social media so you know i I'm, I'm, I'm probably happier for it but um yeah i think i think that's one of the things we try to do too as humans is we like to have an appearance of something you know righteousness or whatever and um and not have the the actions to really back it up but yeah Man, it's, this has been such a, uh, it's been a heavy week for me over the past few weeks because of really, I think, the, the multiplicity of responses I've seen from people. And it just kind of seems like there are some folks that I know and love that have become exceptionally angry, mm-hmm. some that have become very sad, someone who has become very um, almost dismissive of it. You know, like, oh, the guy died, but it doesn't give anybody a right to riot. And, and it becomes more about the riots than it does about the fact that we have a whole community of folks that call themselves Americans that are grieving or in pain right now. And, and not a single African-American person I've talked to is in support of rioting. Um, but it seems like for whatever reason, that's when we as white Americans see that first, mm-hmm. <laughs> to me, that is an indication of a deep heart issue to where we can't be compassionate and we can't be merciful and we can't be understanding towards a whole community in pain. And we don't want to hear their side of it. We, don't, we just say, hey, what's the big deal? Get over it. And then we point to ourselves and, you know, my granddad came over on the, you know, this boat and they pulled himself up as on bootstraps and you know, I don't understand what your problem. And, and it just seems so arrogant and judgmental. And it doesn't look anything like Jesus. And that's what grieves my spirit when I see folks that I know are believers, I know claim the name of Jesus, displaying that kind of dismissive, arrogant, judgmental character. I know that has to grieve the heart of God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think to summarize my thoughts on it, there absolutely is racial um, inequality, uh, wealth, you know, inequality in the United States of America along racial lines. And sometimes that, that, um, you know, that, that manifests itself and also is per- perpetuates racial injustice and hate crimes, whatever the case may be. Where I think I, I tend to disagree with the majority of the people speaking on these issues and the, and the majority of the very vocal people, especially like in the media and, and whatever, I think is the remedy of this problem. Because I think there are there are politicians, there are organizations, there are this and that, that are seizing this opportunity of emotion, of pain and of anger and saying, yeah. let's see how we can further our agenda through this. And I think that that has got to stop because, um, like I said, the poor black community, the United States of America, man, I feel so like I empathize so much because it's like generation after generation has looked to them to figure out how do I keep what I got or how do I get more on the backs of this community here in the United, of this of this yeah. um, demographic in the United States of America. And that to me is just so saddening and so sickening. And I'm like, this has got, this is, where's the, so, where's the yeah, stuff with this? That's a really good insight. So almost there's a, a group of people that have almost grabbed a hold of this cause. And instead of using this cause to really serve and help, they've used this cause as a platform to further their own political ideology. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
Which is the same. I mean, is, is, is it really any different from, you know, oppressing a certain people group? I mean, <laughs> you're essentially taking advantage of and, you know, using them for your own gain. I think it's just a more it's a more subversive some more some subversive form of of racial injustice to look to see when you I think and I ask my students this when I teach history and I teach the civil rights movement when you ask yourself the question as a politician what do I have to do in order to keep this people group's vote I think you're already you're flawed you're broken you don't need to be a leader of our nation if you ask that question no matter if it's on a racial line if it's on a if it's on a um you know wealth status line i think oh, if you, oh, ask so you, your, you, you mean like holding up a bible and yeah yeah i mean even <laughs> what do i need to, what do i need oh, to do man. what do i need to say what policies do i need to pass in order to keep the evangelical vote i think if you ask yourself that question then you are not worthy of being the leader of any capacity of our nation but if you ask yourself yeah. the question i tell my students this i said if you ask the question what do i need to do in order to lead this nation in, in the way that this nation was originally founded upon the idea of, of, of um, inalienable rights, God-given inalienable rights to all humans living in this country. Um, if you ask yourself, the, what do I need to do to lead this nation based on our founding documents or the Judeo-Christian principles which this country was founded on? I think if you ask those questions, then I think you're heading in the right direction. Um, yeah. But there's so many politicians right now on both sides of the aisle that are asking that question, what do I need to do? What do I need to say? Who do I need to put standing in the in the the bleachers behind me when I give this speech in order to keep this people group's vote? And if that's the case, if that's the question you're asking, then please resign. You are not you're not worthy of being a leader of our nation. Because they're not actually serving the people they're elected to serve. They're using those people to exactly. get something out of them. And that, yeah. It's just a different form of exploitation. Yeah. Dave, it looks like we've solved all the issues related to the <laughs> podcast. We did. We did out here amongst the tree frogs and the yeah, the, the spotty frog. Wi-Fi. No, I mean, I know. I hope that didn't sound dismissive. I, I feel like we have such a long way to go as a nation. But what Jamerson said earlier before we had to go, he says good things are happening. I, I, I see a day in which believers in Jesus Christ are willing to see this as a gospel issue and not as a political issue. Yeah. Oh, man, I can't wait till that that is the, the, the transition when people realize and wake up to wait voting and and, you know, passing laws that that's not going to change men's hearts. That no. may that may that may bring justice of some of some kind. Yeah. But ultimately, like you said, this is this. And I think Jamerson said this is a heart issue. This is a human, sinful, fallen issue that will continue oh. to pop its ugly head up in our in our. Um, in our, you know, story of the human experience. Yeah. Do you, you notice that Jamerson called you Dave? I think I did notice that. Yeah. And I, yeah. I get that a lot. Dave. Yeah. Which that's fine. Yeah. But it's better than, yeah, it's, it's better than some alternatives I've, I've heard in middle school and elsewhere. But I'll accept, I'll accept Dave. Hey, what's your middle name? I've always wondered about that. Joel. Joel. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because a long time ago, you were on a record label. You were called Gabriel Joel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it goes way back. Super, you were super trendy. Like yeah. yeah. Those are good times. I think one of the first times I met you, I was like, dude, I met this guy that's like kind of record label. <laughs> and then by record label, it was like two guys in my mom's basement. Yeah, yeah. It's a very indie record label that I was signed to. Um, yeah, I think it's this is a this is a good talk, but it's a it's a tough one, man. It's like it's it one is, it's. It's one I'm I'm scared to have, to be honest with you, and I think others are scared to have in this yeah. tough conversation. Because if you're like, if you're anything like me, you don't want to offend. Yes. And you want to figure out: Am I doing anything wrong? You know. And I, I think I think this is a plea to pastors, um, congregational leaders out there. Model for your people. Um, not racial blindness, but I, I like to say this with our congregation that we should be, we should look at ourselves as an embassy of the coming kingdom, an embassy of the, of the messianic reign of Messiah, 
that when people walk into our worship gatherings, they should see elements of the kingdom. There should be, there's going to be multiple languages. There are going to be multiple races. There's going to be worship nonstop, prayer, singing, studying of scripture, teaching. There's going to be healing. There's going to be um, the, the move of the spirit. Um, you know, it's, it, we, should, we should strive to model that in our worship setting, in that context, and really in our lives. Yeah. Um, if, you're, if you've got a problem with different races, then you're going to have a really hard time in the coming kingdom when the kingdom <laughs> is realized on earth because every nation will be represented in his kingdom and, and many people from every nation will be welcomed into his kingdom. And he's not going to say, here, you know, there's a different race or here, put on a different race. And that's the beauty of God's love for humanity is that he made us all so different, but his love is so universal for all those that kaleidoscope of skin colors. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. You're going to have a hard time with heaven if you're racist. Down there. <laughs> yeah. Every, every tribe, every tongue part. Yeah, Revelation 7. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're going to be there. Yeah. If we think there's a white section in heaven, we show up looking for the cross and the Jimmy Buffett and the whitest thing I can think of. I don't know. Anything else lighter? No. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Buffett and cross. There you go. All righty. Well, if you made it this far on the podcast, congratulations. You made it. Let's pray for our nation. Yeah. Oh, man. We should always be praying for our nation. Absolutely. Pray for unity. Right, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening. God bless you all. So, yeah, we'll see you guys in the next show. Keep it real. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.